Hello and welcome to our podcast, Dad Educates Daughter on 80s Music. This is Series 1, Episode 4. I'm Russell and this is my daughter, Rebecca. Hello. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm okay. Not bad. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Looking forward to seeing what you think about this week's music, to be honest, because it would be totally different to what you listened to last week, I would have thought. I think this week will be a bit of a surprise for you when I reveal what I think about it. Okay. I don't know, but that's what I think. I think you'll be a bit surprised by my opinions. Okay. Let's get straight into it then. Let's talk music. So last week I gave you Japan, Soft Cell, Stroke Mark Almond, The Vapors and Adam and the Ants. So without revealing too much, as we always do, what's your best song of each of those artists? Right, so Japan was Visions of China. Soft Cell was Tainted Love, but I think that's the same. When I know them, I do tend to go for the one that I recognise the most. I think that's just because I know it and like it already. And then I chose a separate one for Mark Almond, just because you sent me the song separately, a bit like what I did with Joy Division and New Order. So it was really hard to choose from that one, but I chose Tears Run Rings. The Vapors... There was only two songs for that, so that was quite hard to choose, but I chose News at 10. And then Adam and the Ants was, again, hard to choose, but for a whole different reason, but I went for Stand and Deliver. Okay. So this week you had the most number ones you've had up till now. Four. Oh, okay. So it's do you know what? It's gone from, like, two. I think it's actually even gone from, like, one, two three and now we're on four so we're slowly creeping <laughs> up but i think you should make that little mission for yourself <laughs> <laughs> that's just pure coincidence but you're right obviously we had the model was number in the first one then we had the two from gary newman in the cars and we are electric and then last week we had the two duran durans and obviously gold uh, um yeah gold i think it was from spandau ballet yeah oh so this week we got four yes now, that could be like one from each, but I really don't think it will be. Actually, it was sorry, it was true from Spandau Valley, not gold. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. The four this week, I think Tainted Love will be one. But I do that when I know them. I'm like, oh, that's a number one. I think the Vapors will have one. And maybe Mark Almond, when he, I'm guessing, it, like because you say he's slash soft cell, that's something to do with them. But Mark Almond, I think, had one. Okay. But I'm not sure which ones. It's quite hard this week, I think, to get ones that might have been big hits. But I'll find out. Okay. Yeah. So if we discuss Japan first, then. So what were your thoughts on Japan? So I liked them. There was a lot of songs to go by, which I like when it's so much easier when there's more songs. Like, I guess that's an obvious thing when there's only like two or like with Martha and the Muffins last week going off one you're rating that song rather than the artist so their songs they've got a nice balance of upbeat and chilled out and I found myself when it was more the chilled out ones like Night Porter I found myself just sat and just taking the music in and then I think this week I found across the board there are more lyrics and with Japan I think they were singing about experiences that I think I've gone further into what are you talking about what what's the message behind your song so I think they've gone deep in their messages and then the first thing that I thought about these was so they mentioned Tokyo they mentioned China they mentioned European they mentioned Cantonese what's this all about so I did look up the lyrics to be able to look more rather than just listening and working out lyrics and like European son and Cantonese boy think is that about the war or some sort of war and I was like so they do go deep but I think these are very new romantics based on how you've described them so like in their videos you can see the new romantics coming out they've got the earrings they've got a nose piercing they've got big hair they're very pasty so I'm guessing that might be like foundation and then they've got the eyeliner and they're experimenting a bit more like I think the main singer he's like blonde at the front and then dark brown at the back and I was like okay that's that's a bit odd but they're obviously experimenting and I guess that's what the new romantics were about and then in their song all tomorrow's parties they sing about clothing and I was like okay I wonder whether this is to do with it that might just be me indulging too much in the lyrics but I liked them and I think there was a lot 
coming from them like I say variation within their songs and to be honest out of the ones that you sent me there was only two that I didn't like which were Ghosts and Cantonese Boy and Ghosts I think was just a bit too weird and then Night Porter I was on the on the fence about but I think only because it's so chilled that it came across a bit depressing I think you'd have to be in the mood to listen to something like that you'd have to have some heartbreak or something to listen to that but I did I did like them Okay, so I would agree with you on the, the new romantic side. As I said last week, I don't know if you remember, I said that they were actually an influence for Duran Duran. Yes. And I would say that the lead singer of Japan, David Sylvian, the look of him, and then if you look at Nick Rhodes, who formed Duran Duran, it, it definitely seems to take his look, his persona, off of David Sylvan of um, Japan. So there is, I think, you can see the influence that there is on Duran Duran from Japan. So regarding Japan, it's David Sylvia who's the vocals. Steve Jansen is the drums. Mick Khan is the bass, who unfortunately is no longer with us. Richard Barbieri, keyboards, and Wob Dean, guitar. And they are known as, going by it, synth pop stroke art pop. What I was going to say is... I thought they'd gone back to the synthesizer because it felt more programmed, more electronic. And then you're listing off that they've got a drummer, a bass and, or, and a keyboardist. So I'm quite not shocked because, like I've said in previous episodes, I do get confused as to whether it is a synthesizer or instruments. But I actually thought they went back. So but I guess you saying synth pop, they've still got something in there. So on my It's Electric Two of the bands that we're or groups that we're talking about today are on here. So you've got track three, Tainted Love, Soft Cell. Track seven, Japan and Quiet Life, which is actually my favourite. I did like that one. I did like I did find it hard to choose, but again, it's because there's so many. But I did like Quiet Life. Yeah. That is the probably the the most synth sounding of theirs which shows the difference in taste of music. That's my favourite. I'll be honest, I'm not a big Japan fan. You seem to have taken to their music a lot more than I personally have. Other than Quiet Life, there isn't much more that I like other than probably I second that emotion, which we'll, we'll talk about a bit later on. Do you know what's really funny as well? Yeah. Connor sits with me and li- when I'm watching the videos because I listen to the music in my car to and from work. But when I'm watching the videos and just kind of replaying the songs to refresh to be able to make notes, he said about Japan, he went, oh, these are a banger. These are, aren't they? So even he liked him. Like, we're exactly the same age. So I guess maybe our generation likes this, whereas you growing up didn't. Well, they certainly had a big fan base. Just it wasn't for me personally. I suppose a bit like Gary Newman. I like the cars and our friends electric, the really um, synthy, electronic-y sounding. The other stuff was just too dark. And I think, I wouldn't say Japan are dark, but I don't personally click with their music. To be fair, when I was listening to them, I did I did have a think and was like, this isn't really up down the street. Like, it doesn't sound like something I would have listened to in the car with you. Uh, so Japan had two albums in the 80s. And Tin Drum was their main one, which got to number 12. So they didn't really have a big selling album. It might surprise you that their biggest hit got to number five, which was Ghosts. Really? Weren't a fan of that one. Yeah. I just thought that one, I think that one was a bit dark. I don't like that song at all. It's one of the songs that actually on when it's on an 80s compilation, I skip it. I just don't like it. But as you can see, the fan base... You know, like Gary Newman, they they get this fan base and they stick with them. And, you know, fair play, everyone has different tastes in music. And that's what I'm explaining to you. And, you know, you you like some of their music that even I don't like. But, yeah, Ghosts, not for me and obviously not for you. But in 1982, it got to number five. So it's obviously a very liked song. And also their other hit or top ten hit was also in 1982. And that was I Second That Emotion, which got to number nine. I like that one. I think it was that one, Quiet Life and Visions of China, that they were like my top three that I had to choose from. So I agree with that one. So the funny thing is that it took Japan a while to to get into the mainstream, getting some hits. So Quiet Life was originally the B-side of I Second That Emotion when it was first released in 1980. It didn't come anywhere. 
They then also released in 1979, Life in Tokyo, and that hadn't charted anywhere either. So both their first two releases never even charted. They then released Quiet Life because I suppose they saw the music that was being brought out by the likes of Gary Newman, OMD, the ones that we've already described. And they obviously, Quiet Life was, or is, more that type of music. They released that, that got to number 19. Then obviously Ghosts come out, that got to number five. They then re-released I Second That Emotion and Life in Tokyo, and then both of those were hits. Although they then had a new producer in Steve Nye who changed them a bit or remixed them, and they were obviously better songs when they, by the time they, they were released, but they were then both hit. Yeah, I guess it's following what other people were doing first and then releasing something, getting your name out there. Like you say, people will be interested. It's like when I've said in previous episodes, when you like someone, you follow their music. So if they got fans from Quiet Life and Ghosts, people then were interested in their music and they got more listeners and more, well, not listeners, because it's not how, back then it's not how we do it now, but more people buying their music. Yeah, and I suppose it was a bit like Ultravox. So Ultravox with John Fox were obviously bringing out good albums, but not commercially good albums. I mean, Gary Newman's come out and said that he liked the Ultravox with John Fox. That's what influenced him. But commercially, that Ultravox didn't do anything. It wasn't until Mature come on board that Ultravox was known in the mainstream to everyone, rather than the cult followings underground in the nightclubs or wherever the music was played. And I suppose, in a sense, that was the same with Japan. So although they'd influence bands like Duran Duran, they actually didn't make the breakthrough until after probably Duran Duran, because their first hit wasn't until, what, 1982. Did Japan only influence the way Duran Duran looked rather than the music? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, Duran Duran, I guess they like that as well. But Duran Duran certainly didn't, I wouldn't say, Sound Ham were probably one of the pioneers of the new, you know, a lot of Spandau Ballet. Uh, the earrings, uh, makeup, I suppose, you know, like you could even say Gary Newman and obviously Mark Allman, who we'll talk about later. So, yes, I second that emotion is actually a cover. So that's a cover of Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. That got to number 27 for them. And then they obviously, obviously, as I say, they first released it, didn't come anywhere. And then after they re-released it, it got to number nine. Funny enough, Japan had actually lost their record label. They'd been dropped. They then joined Virgin. I suppose Virgin put a bit more money into them. And that's why suddenly, you know, they got people like Steve Nye on board. But up till then, they were with Hansa Records. And obviously, I suppose because they weren't delivering a, a record or bringing in the money, I suppose, they actually got dropped from their record label in both America and in um, the UK. And so, yeah, then they got signed up by Virgin. And funny enough, then the hits come. What's the first record label a bit? Because Virgin, I'd expect to be a quite well-known back then and like sony now how it's like so it brings in the big people and you know that if you're getting signed by them you're going to do well because you are good so do you think was the first one maybe not as known didn't have as much money do you think that makes a difference i suppose yes i mean and that's why they you know we spoke about it before the indie charts the independent charts but the thing is that Japan weren't even, from what I've researched, I can't even see that their first two, Life in Tokyo and the cover of I Second That Emotion, were even hits on the indie chart. So they obviously were just flops. Even with I Second That Emotion, having Quiet Life as the B-side didn't do anything. Now, funny enough, you you and I both agree Ghosts isn't something that we would necessarily listen to. As I say, it was their biggest hit, number five. And actually, when I was researching it, it did say it was called one of the most remarkable and unlikely entries in British chart history. Yeah, I could agree with it being unlikable. Uh, unlikable, did you say? Unlikely entries. Unlikely, yeah, I can agree. I mean, I suppose you are talking about we're coming out of, we're in the early 80s. We've just come out of like, you know, rock and roll and disco and you're going into the electronic and then suddenly Ghosts comes out, which is just, I think even compared to Gary Newman, it's just completely different. You know, I suppose a bit like Craftwork would have been originally, but I suppose because I don't like it, it's hard for me to explain it. I suppose um, it's go away and listen to it and make your own opinions, really. But it's not a song for me. I just don't think it fits in with any of their other songs either. 
like I don't know they might have had others that weren't a hit so they're not ones that we're focusing on but based on the ones that were a hit it doesn't fit in with any of them it's just very it's dark yeah the same as you like I can't really express what I mean I just don't like it so the other one that I said about that they re-released was Life in Tokyo, which is funny. So obviously you're saying about you didn't know what their influence was. Obviously they've got a big influence in Japan. They're named after the country. Well, I'm guessing they're named after the country. The country's not named after them. Uh, <laughs> and obviously they've got, you know, Cantonese boy and Life in Tokyo. Obviously Tokyo being the capital of Japan. So there's obviously a big influence when they're writing songs. But Life in Tokyo was co-written with Giorgio Moroda, who we haven't actually touched on, but he was known as the father of disco. So you can probably see a bit of his influence from the 70s in Life in Tokyo. And obviously it was first released in 1979, but as I say, it wasn't a hit. And then when it was released um, in 1982, it then obviously hit the charts. That makes sense as to why, like, some of these, well, I mean, that one, like, it's quite upbeat and catchy, and it might be the link to the 70s a bit, especially if they were released right at the end of the 70s. You're just making that changeover, so it's a bit of an odd time, isn't it? Yeah. So something else, so the band split quite early. They split up in 1982, so 1983. Uh, they'd had their hits, and then they just split up, and... Um, what it is, is there is a lot, first of all, long simmering differences in the band anyway. Probably why there's such differences in music. Maybe the band, some band members wanted to go this route and others wanted to go. So rather, I suppose, like Spandau Ballet, but they'd done it. They went their own way when they had a breaking schedule and done different things. Obviously, Japan, they just completely had so much differences and, and what have you. But also, it came to a head when Khan's girlfriend moved in with Sylvian. Why did she do that? obviously seeing each other i'm guessing it so mick khan's girlfriend obviously then went with david sylvian so the vocalist so obviously there was that i suppose then became totally um you wouldn't like each other yeah, they, they obviously couldn't i mean they did they did reform for a bit i think and do some work but uh, i suppose yeah but um, Kant went on to be a, a session musician for, funny enough, Gary Newman. So as I said about when the, the Tube Army, they didn't go on tours or live. I can't remember which one what it was. And he had musicians. Which one of them, didn't I say, went to Visage? Yeah. Mick Kahn was one of the musicians that stood in for the Tube Army when for Gary Newman. So they're like linked in the 80s, aren't they? They're all kind of moving here, there and everywhere, doing side projects, helping each other out, but also being against each other. Interesting. And another one for Mick Khan, he also released a single with Majeure. So um, they had a single after, after a fashion. It only got to number 39. And Majeure actually was a big pusher of um, get, trying to get some money. When Mick Khan got diagnosed with cancer, obviously, you know, back in them days, they, they didn't make the money that people make now. And Majeure actually, I don't know if it actually went ahead. I'm guessing it did. was behind a benefit concert for Mick Khan. Because obviously he was a big influence on, on a lot of people, especially bassists. He was seen as one of the best bassists of that time, that era. And see, with Majur having worked with him as well, they done a benefit. And that's where Japan reformed. I haven't seen anything on it other than it was being organised. I'm guessing it happened. I don't know. But yeah, Mick Khan actually died of cancer in January 2011. But he is seen as, as I say, one of the best bass players to have been in, in the music industry. Well, he did well for his life before he uh, passed. Uh, yeah. So with Japan, so 1981 Quiet Life, number 19. 1981 Visions of China, which you mentioned, that was number 32. 1982 European Sun, number 31. 1982 Ghosts was their biggest hit, as we've said, number 5. 1982 Cantonese Boy, number 24. Then they had the re-release of I Second That Emotion in 1982, that got to number 9. They had the re-release again of Life in Tokyo, also in 1982, number 28. Then they had Night Porter, again in 1982, number 29. And then in 1983, All Tomorrow's Parties, number 38. And then obviously they split up. Okay, shall we move on then to Soft Cell, joke Mark Armand. So what do you think of Soft Cell? So if I talk about them as Soft Cell and Mark Almond, because I've got different views on both of them, but Soft Cell for me, you have 
tainted love which is so strong like you know it now as soon as it plays you're like yes but the rest of the songs kind of were a downfall now i don't know whether they came after tainted love or before because i don't know when they all fall within the decade but if tainted love came first there'd be a high up expectation the rest came and i just think they're a bit weak like they just didn't have the same expectation that i had for tainted love but it's weird because when I put them in my likes and dislikes, out of all of that, I did have more likes. They're, like I don't know, some of them sounded like out of tune and offbeat. And I was kind of like, what is going on here? Like I know, like Connor was saying to me, I think in the 80s, he said not many of them can sing. And I went, but nowadays you get people that can't sing live because they're so auto-tuned that when they have to sing live, you hear what they actually sound like and you're shocked. This is like raw talent. I was like, they can sing, but some of it sounds a bit too whiny and high-pitched and just a bit offbeat. But I've only noticed that with soft cells. I don't know if that was just their thing, a thing that they were going for, or that's them in general. But like I say, there were a few more of their songs that I liked than I disliked. And again, with these there were messages in the lyrics so I've really liked it because it's not just all about the music you've got the lyrics coming in now with the videos tainted love very futuristic I was like okay this is weird and what I did notice as well is the men are very pretty in the 80s they're just very pretty like nothing's out of play but I guess that might be because we're now going into the new romantics I don't know I noticed this in Tainted Love and it made me be like why are they all so just strong jaw lines and beautiful eyes eyebrows perfect hair not out of place and I know that it's a music video so you're gonna have all your makeup and whatnot done but they are very pretty even like the ones that they get in the music videos to be the actors when it's more of a video than the live performance performance they're still pretty but then I think because they've got the makeup on they're quite stiff in their videos like they don't really move but with Mark Holmond I liked him and he was easy listening had some nice soft music like weren't as upbeat like it was but the music was softer weren't as in your face although you could still hear the electric in there but it weren't as electric as previous episodes and I think he would fit in the radio. And then his one video for Something's Gotten Hold of My Heart. Before I knew, because when you revealed last week who I'm going to be listening to, you didn't mention Mark Almond, you just said soft sell. So when you sent me the things, there was Mark Almond in there. I was like, okay, he's not mentioned this guy. So then when I was listening, I wrote down in the music video, I was like, he looks like the guy in soft sell in Say Hello, Wave Goodbye. Like he's like wait, wearing like the same leather jacket and turtleneck black top. But now I know that it's soft sell slash Mark Almond. So he's obviously something to do with them, which is why he looks like them. And I also think they may have had like, or he may have had like a higher budget because it looks like it's set in Vegas. So I think you're getting into the money side and building up. Like, I don't know whether they were just that big that they had that higher budget. And then he had a different guy in there. He was like an older guy with grey hair. And it was, listen to him, he sounds different from like everyone else. I don't know who he is. You're going to probably say that's Mark Holmond. I don't think I don't think he is, but if you do. He, like, all the other men have this, like, soft, feminine-type, kind of strained voice. Like, it's a bit wavy when they're, like, their notes as they carry them on kind of go, like, uh, on it. But this guy, he sounded different. So I don't know where he came from, but he, it brought a bit of different sound into the music. So I quite like that in there. But yeah, I liked them. And like I said, as much as I thought, well, they've gone out of tune and offbeat a bit, I did like a lot of their songs. But I do have questions because you've got Torch, which is Soft Cell, and then it says Mark Holman's name as well. So it's like, why? Why why is that? Okay. So Soft Cell were Mark Holmond and David Ball. Okay. Now, funny enough, they were both from the same part of, of the country. So David Ball is from Blackpool and Mark Holman is from Southport, which is just north of Blackpool. But they didn't actually meet each other until they were both at Leeds Polytechnic when they were both doing art and culture. You've got David Ball, who's obviously dressed, I suppose, the best way of describing is normally, but I suppose jeans. Are, and he said and he saw Mark Almond and he was in like this leopard print, whatever, you know, coat and he's got to be on the art course. There's no way he's an accountant, for instance. So he obviously then thought, well, I'll go and meet him. And they just clicked. 
So they are completely chalk and cheese to each other. And um, David Ball even jokes in a documentary I watched that he met Freddie Mercury in America. And Freddie Mercury said, are you and Mark Allman together? And he went, no, no, no. Yeah, Freddie Mercury actually asked him if you and Mark Allman are together. Like a, not an item, I suppose an item, but are you, to, you know, together? And he went, no, no, nothing like that. So, yeah. So they are, I suppose, a duo of... So where you've had OMD with a duo of where they're both able to do the other, you know, the singing, the writing um, and the, the synthesizer stuff. So they were both able to mix. This duo are literally, you've got Mark Almond, the soloist, David Ball, the synthesizer. And he actually, when they split, he went on to be a producer, which wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. So that's what he went, whereas obviously Mark Allman stayed in the business as a singer. And I suppose that the way you can look at it is, you know, Tears for Fears, when we come to them, are very much so similar to OMD. They've got two people, both males, funny enough, and they, they're both like writers and songwriters and vocalists, both sing. Whereas Soft Cell are more like Erasure. They've got a very eccentric front man, like Andy Bell is at Erasure. And then you've got this deadpan, almost, I suppose you could say, boring synthesizer bloke in the background, which could quite easily again be Vince Clark. They were, I suppose, the forefront of the duo, you know, Pet Shop Boys, Erasure, that sort of image. Mark Almond was the very eccentric one, the very outgoing and, you know, certainly not shy. David Ball was in the background. So who's that older guy in the video that I said of Mark Almond? We will come to that when we go on to Mark Almond. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So regarding Soft Cell, they were very headstrong, very, I suppose, as it was when you think of the, the 1980s and how the 1980s was then with strikes and obviously Thatcher's Britain and all this. They were very, um, you know, from the north. And as Mark Allman has come out and said, we weren't so much the new romantics, even though he said they were dragged into the new romantics. And I suppose because of the way he was meant they were always going to be labelled that way. They didn't see themselves as that. He always says we were more the beggars from up north. And they, were, as I said, they were headstrong. So they were influenced by the likes of David Bowie, Mark Bolan, Susie Sue. So the very glam what 70s artists. However, they famously turned down supporting David Bowie. So bear in mind, they were influenced by him. You'd think they'd go, oh, yeah, but they didn't like playing live. They didn't do that. So they turned down supporting David Bowie. They probably regret it now, but back then that wasn't what they wanted to do. They just didn't want to do it. They weren't into singing live. So why did they become a musician and have all these hits? The funny thing is, so where you're saying that if Tainted Love was their first hit, you know, they're up here. Well, Tainted Love was their first hit. But when they started out just in the club, it was just like an encore. And then someone said, oh, you could make that could be a good song. Even I've learned something in that I didn't realise Tainted Love was a cover. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's, it's not written by them. It's written by an Ed Cobb back in the 60s. And it was first released by Gloria Jones in 1965 didn't really do anything totally a different you know the song itself but obviously not the electronic side of it totally if you listen to them you know you can see it's the same song but tainted love i think by soft cell is, is a much better version but then because that's my kind of music but i didn't i didn't even, I say, like, got yeah so i didn't even know it wasn't their own i never knew it was a cover till obviously looking into it but i guess it's such a big gap between the 60s and the 80s you wouldn't ever like i don't know if many people know that because the people that listen to stuff in the 60s compared to and the people that listen to stuff in the 80s wouldn't have even crossed paths unless they do something like me and you where you might come up with a song and i go oh there's been another cover of that they're too far apart to know that they were the same lyrics and also they're two different versions. And also, as I say, the one in 1965 when Gloria Jones released it, it didn't actually do anything. It wasn't until a DJ by the name of Richard Sealing, he picked it up while in America and he was a DJ on the Northern Soul, playing the Northern Soul stuff in Wigan Casino. In obviously Wigan was part of the Northern Soul, as it was known scene. And he used to play that. And it, funny enough, now going back to what their who I said was their um, influences, as in Mark Bolan from T Rex, he was 
the boyfriend of Gloria Jones, who had released this song in 1965. He was producing another album of hers called The Vixen, and they put a re-released version of Tainted Love on the, on that album. And it was re-released in 1976. But again, it, it didn't do anything. And then it was released in 1981 for Soft Cell. So it's been released three times. And when Soft Cell released it, number one. Ah, see, I was right. So there's your first number one. It was Soft Cell, Retainted Love. I'm not surprised. But yeah, I didn't realise it wasn't there. To be honest, I mean, I like Soft Cell. I'm, again, not a not big fan of theirs, but I, I like their music. But it's sort of hard, you know, because their best song, or, or not their best song, because I, I like Say Hello, Wave Goodbye, but their biggest song is, is actually a cover, which I didn't know. One that's on all the electronic, electric, synth pop albums. If Soft Cell's more than likely going to be on it, and it would be Tainted Love. But as much as it is a cover, like you say, it is completely different. Like the lyrics are the same, but they've put their music in it by doing the the electric side of it. So I guess they've made it their own. But you have to do that with covers anyway, don't you? To the point where I don't know if you, I don't know yeah. if anyone would know that it's a cover unless they've gone and found it out or are really hardcore music fans. But, yeah, it is funny how their biggest song is, is it either written by them. So then, on the back of, of that, they then got a record deal and their album, Nonstop Erotic Cabaret, which got to number five, had, obviously, on it, Tainted Love. It had Bedsitter. It had Say Hello, Wave Goodbye. It had Torch. It had hit after hit after hit. On there, so they were the, one of the biggest bands, if not the biggest band of the early 80s, because you know they were just rolling out these hits. So, these two guys who just happened to meet while in Polytechnic, they weren't musicians, although David Ball was getting into the synth world. That isn't how they set out to be, but they just got together. You know, Mark Almond saw himself as being a singer, he's got a good voice, and they just started making music. And I suppose it was just luck. That might explain why it's a bit out of tune. But then it's really weird because then I listened to Mark Almond on his own and it's completely different sounding. So actually, scrap that. Because I was like, if he's mistakenly gone into it and weren't really going to be a singer, but kind of has a good voice, that might explain why I think it's a bit out of tune. It could be the just the technology. I mean, I haven't noticed that on any of their music, but it could be just what, from what you're saying, it could be just because it's the early sides, although you haven't said that for any of the others, but obviously technology is still developing. We're only just starting to put music out on cassettes and things like that, that maybe the, the technology wasn't there. That you, I don't know what their budget would have been like, but um, it's not something I've picked up on, to be honest. Go back and listen to Say Hello, Wave Goodbye, and there's a part in it, I'm sure it's Say Hello, Wave Goodbye, where he sounds more like talking to get all the words in. Like, he, you can really hear him say, like, the separate words, and it just becomes offbeat, and it just threw me off. And Connor said, yeah, but some people do that. That's, you know, people do that nowadays. And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't sound right. Go back, I'm sure it was that one. Go back and listen to Say Hello, Wave Goodbye, and you might hear it. I might throw you off favourite song. Yeah, so as I say, that is my favourite song. After Tainted Love, they then obviously got a record deal. So now they've got to think about making their own music and it's got to be of good quality. So their first song was Bedsitter. And that's literally about because they're living in a bedsit. They're in Leeds. They're, you know, they're not from Leeds. They're at the Leeds Poly. And they just make a song about being in that bedsit, I suppose, which obviously was a hit. Then they moved down to be nearer their manager. By this time, they've got a manager who's only 17 himself. So they've gone with someone who was very energetic, very um, in your face to the, the record dealers about, you know, what, what they want. And I think that's what they liked about him. So they, they moved then down to where he was, which was in Soho in London, which was very sleazy back then. And in a sense, that's what the Say Hello Wave Goodbye is about. I've seen Mark Almond live and he sings, obviously, Soft Cell's songs as well as obviously his own. And we didn't know there was loads of people with these pink flamingos. And as much as I've listened and I, I like Say I Know Wave Goodbye, I didn't catch on to the pit. What, why has all these people got pink flamingos? What, who's that to do with? And it wasn't till he was right at the end. He was closing it as at We Wind. And he does a few songs. And then suddenly he goes, right, I see you all with your pink flamingos. Get them in the air, wave them and all there. And on comes Say Hello, Wave Goodbye. And I went, oh, I suppose I'd never really listened to the lyrics. And right at the beginning, it says about 
Pink Flamingo Club, hence the Pink Flamingos. But it's actually written about their time in Soho, and it's about the strip clubs. So the Pink Flamingo is obviously a non-fictional strip club, but it's based on what they see and hear. Even in the lyrics, you know, take your hands off me, I don't belong to you. You know, it's all about the, the working girl. I tried to make it work, you in a cocktail skirt, me in a suit. All that is about what they were obviously seeing in and around. Their song lyrics were very much on, you know, what they saw, I suppose, or on, on through, their, through their music. I put that down that there were messages in lyrics i said that it's a bit like a story within the songs yeah and, and i think you're right because their album was called non-stop erotic cabaret so again you've got that erotic thing they actually lost fans when they um released a song called sex dwarf evidently the video was very erotic it made front page news no on like the news of the world and that as then yeah yeah and they lost a lot of what i suppose where they were having these hits after hit suddenly they released this as i say they were obviously very headstrong at the time they didn't want to be commercial although they wanted the success that it gave them and what have you but and this is what people are saying the problem is they had this manager called steve-o who was as i say he was only 17 himself he was learning on the job. He had these people that it seemed like they were just whatever they brought out was a hit. And it was just like a car crash because no one was driving the vehicle or directing them what to do because the manager was just one of the lads with, with them. He was a mate rather than being someone. No, I don't think you should do this. You know, look at the bigger picture, blah, blah, blah. He was just, yeah, let's do it. And when they got dropped by their record company, I mean, Mark Boland went in and evidently smashed up the thing. And this Steve-O was there and he was like, what do you do? You see your, your artist doing this. And he goes, I just picked up a fire extinguisher and done the same. He goes, because got to be on the side of your artist. So they're there just trashing the, the place up at the record company that obviously then dropped them. And they only dropped them because of this Sex Dwarf song. Well, no, that was the... So all their hits were off their first album their second album was a flop which was the art of falling apart and then their last album the last night in sodom that only got to number 12 because obviously again it just had no hits so all their hits they were all off their first album so they you know they had all these things they got this 17 year old manager and they're going wow this is easy and they're also you know they're under obviously getting into drink drugs they're they're making the most of their life but no one's directing them and telling them that you know as times move on they've just stayed back in the early 80s and they haven't moved with the times and i guess they started young as well so they needed that guidance and didn't have anyone doing that yeah Exactly. And then by the time they have realised it, it's, it's too late and they've they've missed the bus, I suppose, so to speak. And then, yeah, they split up. David Ball decides to go as, off to be a producer and Mark Allman stays in the business. And hence now we go into the Mark Allman era and he's got some songs. None of them hit the top 10. So we're not getting into the numbers that they had from their first album. But he had a hit. So, so Mark Allman, he's had a, he's had what three top forty hits, but nothing, nothing's broken to the top ten. He then has a song called "Something's Gotten Hold of My Heart," which was just an album track. And his AR man or his new manager, whatever you want to call him, then Clive, because obviously now he's not with Stevo. He says you really should re release this. And Mark Allman goes, "Oh, I don't know, you know." And he goes, "What about releasing it with Gene Pitney, who was the original singer?" So Gene Pitney, he had a hit with Something's Got a Hold in My Heart. Well, this is a cover then. Yeah, so so again, it's, it is another cover. And so he said, well, if you can get Gene Pitney, then do it. But otherwise, you know, if you want, we'll release it. But obviously, just of me, it was just a... A play around. Yeah, it was just a, an album track. So his AR man, as they're, they're known, he got hold of Gene Pitney and Gene Pitney was up for it. You know, he said, yeah. He recorded his vocals because obviously uh, Mark Allman had already recorded his and released it. And funny enough, it got to number one. The second one. So that old guy that I was talking about, that's Gene Pickney. And what decade's he from then to sound so different? So he was, um, so he's unfortunately died now. He died in 2006. So bear in mind, this was released in 1989. So it literally just got into the 80s decade. 
His first song was in 1959. His first hit was in 1961. Oh, so he's a 60s man. So, yes. So he would do the 60s. And Something's Gotten Hold of My Heart was released by Gene Pitney back in 1967 and got to number five. Oh, so he did well a bit back then. So, yeah, it was a hit. And he actually turned around after, so they got to number one, they played on top of the pops. It wasn't such a big hit in America, because America looked at it as, this is a, a love song and it's two blokes singing it, or a romantic song, and you've got two blokes. And Mark Allman's actually turned, because obviously he's, he's gay. He's come out and said, it's the only time I never even thought about it. <laughs> and he goes, and then after it had been pointed out to us, we were so, so worried about it that we always made sure we didn't look at each other when we were when we were doing it live so like on top of the pops they were just looking out at the audience both of them and picking out someone and like singing it to them but it's it wasn't a hit in america mainly because they thought it was a bit weird a romantic song like this was being sang by two blokes but gene pitney turned around or wrote a letter to clive i think his name was black and then said thank you for getting me back in the music or making people realizing that i'm still here 26 years later so he had a number one hit with a song that he got to number five in the 60s, he then had number one hit, literally 1989 going into the 90s. Wow. Oh, bless him. So what was the reason for Soft Cell, like for Mark Ullman to go off by himself then? Because they just split up. As I say, they had no real hits off their second all. And then obviously the third album was a flop itself. Then it was just like, this is, it's time to call it a day. Call it. Okay. So weren't anything like Japan with. No, no, no. Because they've since, um, in 2018, they reformed for just a one day or one night only um, at the O2 and sold out. No way. Yeah, yeah, yes. Much older, obviously, as we're saying, 2018. David Ball looks totally different. Yeah, they they had a a one night sellout in the O2. So again, like Japan, they you still got your fan base, still got your core fans. They did have, as I said, their first sort of songs. Not one of them was outside the top five. They were hit after hit after hit. They were the biggest thing, I would have said, in the very early 80s. Bigger than probably Gary Newman. You know, had two number ones. But it just all went wrong. And I think it was more about direction and, as I say, obviously drugs and what have you than than anything else. But Mark Allman, just to point out, has been awarded an OBE and he got that when he was 60. Wow. Yeah. So he got it for his contribution to the arts and culture. But yeah, he got that when he was 60. Now, he said that if he'd got it younger, he'd have probably turned it down because that wasn't him. But now he says he's too old for demonstrations and all that. He leaves that to the youngers and, yeah, he's he's earned it. And as I say, yeah, Mark Almond, OBE. Wow, so he's done his time in the music industry then. Yeah, and he's looked at as an, you know, as soft sell are. They were one of the, you know, a big influence on latter bands. I must say I prefer Mark Almond by himself. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. But I think it's because, like I say, soft cell sounded out of tune. But the songs that were that you gave me, I preferred them over the soft cell songs. Okay. So soft cell, 1981, straight off they start with their cover version of Tainted Love, straight in at number one. Bedsitter, 1981, number four. 1982, Say Hello, Wave Goodbye, got to number three. 1982, Torch, got to number two, which we never really spoke about because I, I do like that song as well. 1982, their cover of What, got to number three. And then their next album, which didn't chart, and these were their best hits off of them. So 1982, Where the Heart Is, number 21, so outside the top 20. Number 83, which I guess was a double A because it's Numbers Stroke Barriers, number 25. 1983 soul inside it did break in the top 20 at number 16 but obviously not top 10 and then 1984 down in a subway number 24 so we go on to mark almond as a soloist so 1985 stories of johnny number 23 1988 tears run rings number 26 and then 1988 bittersweet number 40 so as you can see there's nothing special there yes he's got three top 40s or just literally one just in the top 40 but no top 10s but then he done his duet in 1989 with gene pitney and something's gotten hold of my heart is a number one hit 
good news for Gene Pit, not just Gene Pitney, but also Mark Allman. They got them both back in the eyes of the public, I suppose, because as I say, Mark Allman hadn't had anything since the early 80s. Tainted Love was his number one in 1981. And then 1989, at the end of the decade, he's then got another number one. So he sort of opened the decade with a number one. Had quite a few hits with Soft Cell. Then he had the downturn with Soft Cell, you know, the influence of drugs and alcohol and all those bad demons. He's come out the other side and finished the decade with a number one. Moving on then to Adam and the Ants. The Vapors. Oh, sorry. Yes, the Vapors. Yeah, I forgot about them. <laughs> what did you think of the Vapors? I liked it. Oh, there was only two songs. Or oh, two hits. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, two hits. Well, they only had one hit. I gave you the other one. It just outside the top 40. Just says you had something else to listen to. Was it this one I watched? It must have been this one. Did one of them come at 42? 44. Oh, okay. I watched a video and I can't remember which one it was. I didn't write it down, but it was like, a, it weren't a Top of the Pops, I don't think, because you said Top of the Pops, he had to be in the top 40 to get on there. But there was this guy and he introduced him and said, this song at number 42. And I was like, why have I got this one then? And I just assumed it might have been filmed after. I don't know which one that was. Might have been this, because I think this was that was the only one that was outside. Yeah, maybe. I mean, don't know how true what I'm looking at. Yeah, I've, I've written down number 44. But funny enough, the song that you preferred is the song that wasn't the hit. Oh, really? So News at 10 was the non-hit. Turn in Japanese was the hit. And the only reason I've fitted them in here is because we were talking about Japan. I thought, oh, I'll put the Vapors in here. So they're from the 80s. I need to fit them in somewhere. It's only a couple of songs, so it's not going to hurt where they go. As we're talking about Japan, and they got a song called Turn in Japanese, I thought it would be ideal to put it in here. So that's why you was given them. With this one, Vapors. So I really liked them and I was disappointed that there weren't more songs. That's how much I liked them. I think it's upbeat, it's dancey, it's feel good. And the reason News at 10 is my favourite is because I feel like it's relatable, like day-to-day life, really. And I just thought, yeah, it was hard to choose. And I think I didn't want to go for the obvious choice because Connor really liked turning Japanese. He was, Again, he was like, this is a banger. So I went for that Saying one. that I like news at 10 i did find the videos i only watched obviously the turn in japanese video and i wrote down that i think it comes across as cultural appropriation because i couldn't find an official video for it so i watched the top of the pops one and it kept flicking up with a japanese cartoon character but i did watch one on there it said turn in japanese official music video and i watched part of it and it was just Japanese little clips. And I didn't think it was real. But I did think that they might be a bit of culture. Obviously not the dressing up side of it, but more the stereotypes where they're bringing in the Japanese culture into their videos. I don't know if that was the official music video because it just seemed like it was put together. But overall, the Vapors, they were someone that I liked because as much as they only had two hits, and you said News at 10 was out of it, it was far, It was just more up my street, and I was more disappointed that there weren't more songs for me to listen to. So that's what I thought of them. Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I, now you say about the video, I remember it, because it had images of, like, sumo wrestlers and Japanese men and things like that. It's very, very, yeah, weird video. And I think it was just... So that was the official one. Yeah, I mean, I remember when they were on Top of the Box, and they, they were expecting, like, close-ups of them, and it spent just as much time on this video of Japanese people. There's also a misinterpretation of what turning Japanese means. In in America, they think it's to do with self-enjoyment, so to speak. So when you're reaching the orgasm, you're turning Japanese. But again, evidently, it's nothing to do with that either. It's just a misinterpretation of it in America. But it's funny you say you like that because they are probably the first pop songs that you've listened to the vapors are an english new wave and power pop band that initially existed between 1978 and 1981 so they were actually formed in 1978 and they were actually managed or discovered by bruce foxton of the jam which we haven't touched yet but we will go into those and he went on to co-manage them with john weller so Paul Weller, who was a member of the jam with Bruce Foxton, and Paul Weller you'll definitely hear more of in future episodes. His dad, John Weller, was the co-manager of the Vapors. So I don't know why they only had one hit, 
they've only really had two you know as i say the other one was number 44 they had two albums in the 80s but obviously only one of them was was any good or at least um charted so i'm not i'm not sure why they weren't really a particular success it's hard to describe them because there isn't much to to know about them really it's just interesting that the song you like is actually the (laughs) non-hit I liked both of them. Like I say, I was disappointed that there weren't more songs for me to listen to. But I did prefer News at 10. I don't know if it was because it was relatable. You know, everyone kind of does it. It's a bit of real life. I found it quite funny. Yeah, sure. Um, Just on that then. So with The Vapors, Turning Japanese, 1980, got to number three. So it's probably a bigger hit than you even gave it. It was even more of a shock that they then never went on to do anything else. News at 10 was also 1980, and that was number 44. So that's why I'm presuming that both those songs were off the same album, because they're from the same year, which tells me that the other album had no hits on it whatsoever. So whether it was the album was a flop, and therefore they then got dropped, or, it, you know, they just fizzled out, I don't know. I don't know enough about them, but yeah. So, moving on then to Adam and the Ants, your final band that you listen to. So, weren't the biggest fan of these. So, as I mentioned before, Adam and the Ants, I'd only heard of because Connor's dad mentioned it on a phone call when he was asking about our podcast, saying, do they do any heavy metal? And I said, I don't think so. It's not really my dad's thing. And he mentioned Adam and the Ants. And I went, oh, not at it yet. And then funnily enough, you got me to listen to it. So, I kind of had an expectation of what they'd be like, because if that's what Connor's dad's into... And they were quite rocky, so didn't really sit with me. I'm not a rocky person. That's probably, as much as I say I will listen to anything and everything, rock isn't really up my street. So these, sounding that bit more rocky. I mean, saying that, I, they, there were songs that I did like from them. I managed to pick a favourite, but it was hard and they weren't exactly what I wanted. It was weird because they didn't fit in with everyone I'd listened to this week either. They were very different from the upbeat dance I've had on the previous artist so i listened to the songs in the order that we speak about them today and i listened to everyone got to adam and the ants and they made me look up the lyrics of the songs so i looked up the lyrics and they came across that they like portray a message and you've got like stand and deliver watching the video i was more intrigued it like talks about the fashion i was like so this must be the new romantics coming in because he is a very extravagant person he's got all the makeup and again it comes into like role play they're very dressed up like they are telling a story within the video and that definitely comes out in prince charming because it is Cinderella he is literally playing Cinderella he's got his two ugly sisters and all of that so I was very intrigued by the videos they're quite good to watch but the songs themselves didn't really appeal to me to be honest I did notice the Walkman makes an appearance in Sand and Deliver don't know whether that's an eagle-eyed thing that I've noticed and they had dance moves in Prince Charming like it was like a dance routine and I was like okay so we're getting a bit more movement he's definitely not stiff compared to who else I've mentioned this week But yeah, he's very out there in his costumes. Not the biggest fan of them, let's put it that way. Okay, I'm shocked that you're not. So Stuart Goddard, otherwise known as Adam Ant, he got together with the Ants, hence Adam and the Ants. The original Ants were Dave Barbarossa, Matthew Ashman and Lee Gorman. However, they then left before they come to any prominence to form another band called Bow Wow Wow which was informed by the manager of the Sex Pistols, Malcolm McLaren. So they left. So then Stuart Goddard still wanted, obviously, to, to make a go of it. He then got together with Marco Pirioni, who was on guitar, and Chris Hughes, the drummer. And they reformed Adam and the Ants. Now, Marco Pironi was the guitarist, but also a songwriter. And Chris Hughes was a producer. In fact, Chris Hughes got producer of the year for the Adam and the Ants album, Kings of the Wild Frontier, which had three hit singles on it. So Dog Eat Dog, Ant Music and Kings of the Wild Frontier. You know, you can see that the skills are there. In a sense, the original ants that left to form Bow Wow actually did Stuart Goddard a favour because he then reformed Adam and the Ants and probably got better success out of the reform than he would have previously. A bit, I suppose, like we're saying about Ultravox, when John Fox left, they hadn't really had any hits. Majeure joined and suddenly they had a number of hits. 
this in a sense was was a similar with because Stuart Goddard was the main writer on both sides he'd have probably still wrote these songs but obviously with Chris Hughes a producer would they have got the same kind of mix finished article it's hard to uh, conceive the other thing that I think helped Adam and the Ants was uh, as you said they used videos to tell a story and through video as we've already said about MTV they got a lot of airplay probably helped that Stuart Goddard he was often a guest VJ on the channel. So VJ being the equivalent of a disc jockey, but video jockey. So I'm guessing that if he was a guest, they would play his videos as well. So that probably helped in him getting their music out, as we've already said earlier about how MTV influenced um, Buggles, it influenced Duran Duran. Kind of helped him, gave him that stepping stone. Yeah, definitely. And he was also, Adam and the Ants was the first band to use the portable video camera. When they were on top of the pop, so on top of the pop, so I think there was like three different stages. So you'd probably go from someone on this stage and when they finished, they go over to the next stage rather than take all, you know, there wasn't just one stage. They had to take all their equipment off and then get some. They'd be there all day. So they'd have three stages and alternators, you know, like you're on stage one, you're on stage two, you're on stage three, you're on stage one because you'd have two songs to clear that one and get it back on. Because they had handheld cameras, he said, can we use all three stages? And he had a live set with a handheld camera. And he, as you say, he sort of paints a story. He went from one stage to another. He obviously was ahead of his time because he was using now the handheld camera. So whereas before BBC would have had static cameras on each stage, now they got the, the handheld portable cameras. They could follow him from stage to stage. So they were the first band to use that. You know, you saying that he's like ahead of his time, like forward thinking. I put down that compared to the others this week, like obviously within the time he wasn't, he was, you know, in with what everyone else was doing. But he sound he's like more outdated than the others with the music. But I just feel like the others are moving along and it's becoming more poppy. But it might be just because it is more rock and it's not appealing to me. But it just came across as a bit outdated and didn't fit in with the other ones that you've given me this week. But it might just be because it's a bit of a different turn in the genre. Cool. I mean, I suppose that's interesting because I suppose whereas I've come into this expecting you not to like electronic music. Adam and Ant are not an electronic band and yet you're not liking them. <laughs> Which is strange, because um, when I think back of who you've liked and not liked previously, I thought that Adam and the Ants might be the one that you would like this week. But we'll go into that, obviously, when you come to your hits and miss. So Adam and the Ants had two albums in the 80s. They also had two number ones. So obviously we said there was four number ones. We've already had two through Soft Cell and then Mark Almond as a soloist. Adam and the Ants had two number ones in Stand and Deliver and Prince Charming. In the Prince Charming video, you're right, it's about Cinderella, like a panto with the ugly sisters. Yeah, he's the first one that's actually got men dressed as women. Ah, right. So the fairy godmother in that video was a well-known actress at the time called Diana Dawes. And so for him to get her to play in that showed you how big, I suppose, Adam and the Ants were at the time, that they've got this... I suppose she was coming to the end of her career, but she was an actress and she... I mean, she's she died now. She died actually in 1984. So a couple of years later, she unfortunately died. But she was in that video as the fairy godmother. When they used the choreographed routine, she was even doing it. Would have been quite something back then to have a what was a, a pop actress being in the video and even doing your moves with you. So that's like the dance moves where I said they're introduced. He's not a stiff. Have a whole choreograph and even got this big, huge actress woman to do it as well. Yeah, so she was it played the fairy godmother in the video, and then when they're doing the moves with the arms crossed and what have you, she you, you see in the video that she's also doing that as well. So. We will move on to uh, their discography and where they finished. So in 1980, Kings of the World Frontier, number two. 1980, Dog Eat Dog, number four. 1980, Ant Music, number two. 1980, Young Parisians, number nine. 1981, Car Trouble, which was their first non-top 10, top 20 hit at number 33. 1981, Stand and Deliver, number one. 1981 Prince Charming, number one. 1981 Ant Rap, number three. And then 1982 Ducha Girls, number 13. So as you can see, they've had two number ones, two number twos, a number three, and a number four, and a number nine. So they've got seven top ten hits. 
They did well. Yeah, still not last year. I will accept their two number ones, though. Like, Stand and Deliver was my favourite. So I accept that. And Prince Charming, you know, weren't that bad. But it's, yeah, I was surprised. Well, I shouldn't be surprised. She's your surprise that I didn't like her as much. But I'm surprised that they had so many top ten. But that's my personal opinion. I'm not that big of a fan. Okay. So shall we move on then to your hits and miss for this week? Yep. So Japan, I put as a hit, but a put could be a miss only because my personal opinion is that they're a hit. For me, I would play them again, but I don't think they would fit in like nowadays. Me, I don't think other people may like them as much as I do. And like I said, Connor likes them as well. So they could be a hit for other people, but I can't see them fitting in anywhere. The soft Cell put a hit. They were a close miss, though. I don't know what it was about them. They were hit because I did like more their songs than I disliked. And then I did Mark Allman separately just because I had different opinions on them. So Mark Allman had four songs that you gave me and all four of them were in my light list. So as much as there was left, they were all to my taste. So he was a hit on his own as well. So I guess that works because Soft Cell were also a hit. And then you've got the Vapors. Like I say, I did really like these. So I put them as a hit. think that they're fit on the radio. I think they'd go well. I think they'd fit in now and I think other people would like them. As much as there was only two songs, those two songs I really enjoyed. And like I say, I was disappointed that there weren't more. And then Adam and the Ant were my only miss this week. So as I was going through, I was like, oh, might be an all-hit week. And then I remembered I've got Adam and the Ants. And they, they just weren't my taste. A bit too rocky. And that's one thing that I can't listen to. So they were the only miss this week. Okay. I'm shocked. If I was to have written down beforehand what I think your hits and miss would be, I'd have been the totally opposite. <laughs> I told you I was a surprise this week. Yeah. I'd have put you down as Adam and the Ants. I suppose because for me, they were more commercial. They've obviously got more hits. And I thought that I wouldn't say they come across rocky, rocky. We will not heavy metal. I'm not into Metallica and that sort. But we will, you know, like Bon Jovi and the like, which are rock bands. We will have those in a future episode. And you'll see what rock is actually like. I wouldn't say Adam and the Ants are a rocker band. Not looking good for the future rock episodes then no 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 but yeah i'm shocked japan i suppose i don't like them i look at them a bit like gary newman and i know that you didn't like gary newman so i wasn't expecting a like for them and then soft sell it could have gone i've i'd probably put a question mark but the fact that you don't like omd i'd have probably put them more with those although obviously you did like new order so, you know, it'd have been hard to know which way you would have gone with them. Um, but I'd have probably gone with you not liking them. <laughs> and then the Vapors, because there just wasn't many songs of theirs, a bit like Martha and the Muffins, I just automatically thought I can understand if you're going to say a miss for those because there's not much to go on. The fact that there was only two songs, the song that you liked the most was actually the non-hit. I just put it on there. It was just outside the top 40 and to give you another song to listen of theirs, which I couldn't do, unfortunately, with Marth and the Muffins. They didn't have another song. So the fact that you like them, you know, I do think maybe you should listen to their album. It might be that they are the two hits and the rest of the album is rubbish. And maybe that's why the other album was a big flop. And that's why they no longer went on, as we discussed. I don't, I don't know, but... I'll have a listen and I'll let you know. Yeah, if you like a non-hit song, you might like their other music obviously they are the more pop sounding group band of these but then i'd probably say adam and the ants are more pop than anything else i just think they're a bit too rocky i don't know what it is but i did tell you i listened to anything and everything and one thing that i like to another thing that i like are just complete opposites or i could like something and not like something else which may be similar so you're never gonna predict no, I realise that. Um, yeah, no, you're right. Adam and the Ants are listed as a punk rock alternative rock band. And there you go. So I, w- I wouldn't have put them down as a rock band personally, but then I suppose I'm looking at rock as in Bon Jovi and the likes that we will discuss later on. They're more heavy rock. I'm surprised that you like them. Who? Adam and the Ants. 
Yeah, I, I, as I, I suppose I like their commercial songs. I mean, Car Trouble, no. But yeah, Prince Charming, Stand and Deliver, Ant Music. Yeah, I, I, do, I do like those. Would I go out and buy an album other than like a Greatest Hits album? I probably wouldn't. I don't like them that much. But I would have put them, you know, if you'd asked me, I'd say, yeah, they were hit. But then I suppose I know that because I was around at the time, I know that they were popular. I know that they've had hits. You're going into this completely blind, which is which is good because you're seeing it totally different. Yeah, literally just my opinion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're looking at them now. And obviously you've got the foresight or the music that's around now. Whereas obviously when we were around, you know, electronic music had only just come in, you know. We certainly didn't have, although I, I don't know what genre you'd call music of today. I, I think it is still about the pop of the 90s and even the late 80s as we go into it more. When it become more sophisticated pop, that's probably, you know, similar sound of music. But yeah, I suppose you haven't got anything like Adam and the Ants around at the moment nowadays. So. I mean, there probably is, but what's in the charts nowadays, you don't have the variation. Yeah. If you're a mainstream person, you're going to make it into the charts. If you're going to play rock music, you're probably not going to be in the charts. That's the charts are completely, I don't know how they work out the charts now as well. I know it's obviously to do with listeners and streaming and downloads, but why you never hear Rocky rock person in the charts, I don't know. But then you've just said you don't like rock and that's, that could be the same for the majority. There's obviously people that do like it still, but they're probably in the minority or they're like myself and we don't we just don't stream music really you know but no on the on the whole you've shocked me in of what you've liked and disliked but at the same time i suppose i have educated you in that you liked three of them you wouldn't have known about them before you certainly probably wouldn't have known about japan you wouldn't have known about soft cell and as i say the vapors there's even probably people from the 80s that don't really know about those or forgotten about them because what happened in the 80s they were only a small part of it and they were right at the beginning so in a sense it's good that i've influenced you in in that sense but i yeah i'm shocked that adam and the ants who were one of the bigger groups and were certainly the biggest group of the ones you've listened to today were actually the miss but that just shows the difference in you know the music that was around and and what you like and what's what would fit in today and as you've just pointed out there is no they are a rock band as it says i wouldn't class them as rock, but they are a rock band and there isn't i suppose similar of, of that sort of music today yeah it's never been something that i've listened to either so you're gonna have to work hard to get me to like a rock okay well it's going to be harder next week because there's only three bands next week but there will still be a, a, a good amount of songs for you so are you ready to listen to next week's yes so we have madness okay yeah the specials and the undertones okay no idea the undertones sound like they could be an acapella group recognize madness know them so do you know any madness songs no this is my problem i can know madness you will send me the songs and I'll be like, I know that one, I know that one, I know that one. But I can't think of them at the top of my head. I am rubbish at like guessing games. Like you can play a song and I won't know what it is. Like, I won't know the name of it or the artist of it. I'm not good at piecing things together. So you'll send me songs and next week I will tell you I knew these ones. But at the top of my head, I can never name things. I'm rubbish at it. Okay. Well, we will find out next week. Well, I think that finishes this week off. It's been a success this week, a surprising success. I wasn't expecting three hits, and I certainly weren't expecting a miss on Adam and the Ant. So it'd be interesting to find out next week, because I think you'll find that the music you're listening to this week, compared to all the the, the music previously, is going to be totally different. On that note, I shall say goodbye, and see you next week. Yep, and and I'll also listen to the Vapors album. I'll let you know how that goes as well. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me know if you um, if it was just a, a luck or their music is actually something that you would still listen to now and even in an album form. We'll see. I'll let you know next week. Yeah. Well, happy listening for the week. Yeah. And we shall catch up next week. Yeah. All right then, Dad. Okay, bye. Bye, Dad. Bye.